What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a new series on collections. We are going to spend a little bit of time getting to know some of the folks in our congregation, looking at the things that they collect. Each week we'll hear an interview with someone that has a special collection, and as we hear about these collections, we'll look at how the Bible connects us with the values and principles we see at work in the objects or even in the people. This week's collection also reminds us of the saints who have gone before us. We remember those who have raised us in the faith, taught us about Jesus, and shared what loving others truly looks like. Before our video, though, let's hear our scripture for today. Uh, Ralph is going to read for us. It comes from 1 Thessalonians. This is a book the Apostle Paul wrote, and the title comes from the city of Thessaloniki in modern-day Greece. Paul is writing from afar, encouraging this young congregation. He wants them to stand strong in Jesus Christ. And so he writes this letter to give thanks and revitalize them after some deep challenges. Let's hear God's word for us today from 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God and declare to you the gospel of God in the spirit of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek to praise mere mortals. Whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse rendering care for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined not to share with you only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how pure, upright, and blameless our, our conduct was toward you, believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And from 1 Thessalonians, oh, I'm sorry, from Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and, to, and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and lives that we would nurture one another as Jesus nurtured this world. Give us vision. Give us compassion. Open us to your will today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we begin, I want to share with you a video. It's an interview I had with Bill DeBlock. Uh, Bill is a longtime member here at Grace, along with his lovely wife, Linda. You may not have seen them lately, and that's because they continue to faithfully watch our worship services every week online because of COVID. Bill is part of the men's group and leads our nursery school board, and I asked him if he would share with the congregation his collection that is near and dear to his heart. Let's take a look at the screens. And imagine beautiful music playing at this moment. We might have to restart this if we don't get there. Is it going? All right, very good. Tell me about your collection. Well, this is my dad standing in front of his milk truck back in the day. He had a variety of milk trucks along the way, but this was probably one of his first ones. All the drivers owned their own businesses. And uh, the milk that he delivered, he picked up from a depot in Clifton on Broad Street, uh, the corner of Route 46 in, in Broad Street. And the building still exists. Um, I started collecting bottles because when I married my wife, uh, she was an antiquer. She liked to go to shopping and whatnot. And so I figured when I'm out with her, I should maybe find something I'm interested in. And uh, I started collecting bottles from the dairy that my dad delivered for. Um, let me show you this one down here. These are what are called cream neck bottles. Back in the day before milk was homogenized, they would take the milk and then they'd put the cream on top. And the cream, of course, would always rise to the top. And so the idea was that you could get the cream and then the rest of the milk was like whatever. But most people would just shake it up and mix it together or put the cream in their coffee. This one also is unique because it has what they call a baby head in the cream. And so I don't know if you can see that in the glass, but it's a raised glass of a little baby's face. So and I guess you want to see what I looked like when I was delivering milk with my dad. Here's a picture of me. Probably, I'm going to say, 12 or 13 years old. Tell me about the significance behind the bottles. Why, why bottles? Why did you choose that? You said some about, you know, I know it's connected with your father, but say a little bit more about why that matters to you. Um, I, I think getting the bottles, um, it brings it back to a simpler time, I think. Um, I, before uh, there were milk stores on the corner, it kind of reminds of, of family and of community. People would, you'd, you'd bring milk, you know, and uh, you'd wash the bottles and put them back out. It was, we, were reuse, we were reusing and recycling before we even knew what we were doing. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And you can watch the full video posted on our church's YouTube page after the service. Uh, after Bill and I finished the interview, he actually shared with me a second collection of his. It's a rare one, perhaps even more rare than milk bottles. Uh, he told me about his collection of 
Emmys for his work as a sound engineer on daytime television and for the Olympics, I immediately became conscious of the very inexpensive equipment I was using to record the interview. So I hope a real pro in the field won't uh, judge me too harshly for the quality of the sound in that video. Uh, Bill's story, though, is an interesting one. As his wife collected antiques, he found his own niche, which he connected uh, back to his father. Clearly, it's not about the milk, though. As interesting as the hobby may be, what really matters is the relationship he had with his father. Milk bottles are a way to remember the humility, integrity, and love that his father had for him and for his community. I remember a time years ago when my family found out that the farm that my grandfather had owned was up for sale. We had spent every summer as children on that farm, and the whole family remembered it with fondness. We talked for weeks about how much it would cost, who would pay for it, who would live there, how we would take care of it. Uh, the yard was so big that it took five out of seven days just to cut the grass. And the more we talked about it, the more it became clear to us that the farm itself was not the most important thing. It was actually secondary. The property was not the key thing in the discussion. What mattered, what really mattered, was my grandfather. Talk of the farm was just a reminder of how much we all loved and missed him. Many things can do that in life. For Bill, it was the milk bottles. For others, it might be a home, a wedding ring, or a prized possession that sits on the mantle. Uh, maybe you love cars. You really, really love cars. Uh, maybe for you, it's the church. But when you survey people, they say that their most prized possession, most often, is actually photos of their children. It's the connection. It's the relationships and remembering the experiences that we've had with someone we love that often matters the very most. And besides Bill's connection to his father working in the dairy industry, there's actually another interesting connection to milk. He used to deliver the milk to everyone. It was a home delivery. It was personal. For many, that reminds us of a simpler time when the community was closely connected together when everyone knew everyone else's name and the kids could run around and play uh, out in the streets without any fear in the world. It was a community that was nurtured by milk and the humble man who delivered it. The scriptures use that analogy of milk several times. Often it is used to highlight the promise of God for a better life. The Israelites, they fled Egypt in the book of Exodus to get to the promised land, which was a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, it's also a symbol of God's faithfulness so that one day when the people enter into the kingdom of God, they will see a mountain flowing with milk. God will provide in abundance if the people are faithful to the end. Perhaps the most obvious analogy for milk is its use for babies. Uh, the scriptures point out often that milk is the delicate, sweet food for little children. When Christians have not grown and are inexperienced, they are like babies. So milk is the appropriate food for them. But the babies need to grow. It's their one job, right? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes this ministry among the new church as like a nurse caring for her children. That word for nurse is trophos, 
a nursing foster mother, the one entrusted to ease the parents' burdens by nurturing and raising one's own children. Now, the Apostle Paul, he can say this because he spent some time in Thessaloniki. He can, uh, we can read about some of his time there in Acts 17. That's also where we learn what Paul means by his suffering and shameful mistreatment in Philippi. In the previous chapter, Acts 16, there's a little girl that caused Paul to be put in prison. When Paul healed the little girl, the men of Philippi started rioting and got him beaten and thrown into jail. When Paul gets to Thessaloniki, the city is again in an uproar. After preaching about Jesus for three weeks, many people were persuaded and and decided to follow Jesus. Some of the religious leaders, though, they're upset and they whip the city into a mob that was so wild. When they couldn't find Paul, they just got some other people that had been seen with Paul and they threw them in jail. So when Paul is writing to this city years later, he is delicate. He reminds them how he never charged them money to share about Jesus. He and his friends were upstanding citizens. They did everything right in this community uh, so that they could be nurtured in the faith. They did nothing to provoke the riot. The only thing they did was preach Jesus to urge and encourage the people to lead a life worthy of God. In ancient times, there were lots of false philosophers, but it was clear who they were because they taught the wrong things. They were impure, deceitful, would flatter people to get what they wanted. They loved to be honored, and they craved money. Paul did nothing of the sort. You know, today we have false philosophers too. You might say it's people who spread fake news or people who do scandalous behaviors. If you mislead the public or say nice things to a person's face but are caught saying awful things about them on a hot mic, those are the wrong people to be following. Instead, a true philosopher, according to Paul, is someone who was gentle and known for guiding people the way a nurse would care for another's children. On this All Saints Day, I'd love for us to reflect on those people who were like true philosophers to us. Who nurtured you in the faith? Who helped you when you were weak, when you were like a baby in the faith and desperately needed milk to help you grow? For me, I think of Bob Tice, After I had finished college, I moved back to my hometown, but my family had already left that area. Bob was the pastor of a church in West Buffalo who was taking in refugees, getting stuck crossing the border into Canada. They were here legally, but had no home, no family, no food or clothing. We took them in, gave them free medical care at a clinic connected to the church. And as I met regularly with Bob, who let me ask every question under the sun about the Bible, he eventually told me, Brian, you have to go to seminary. And he pointed me to the school that I would eventually go to. He taught me what it means to help people, but also to grow spiritually, to drink some milk because it leads to maturity, so eventually you won't need that baby food anymore. Today, Bob Tice is a saint I'm celebrating. What about you? Who helped you grow in the faith? Who is your saint today? Or maybe this day you are feeling pretty frail, 
you feel like a baby who needs some milk so you can grow beyond a childlike faith. Maybe you're looking around the room for a mentor. Do it. Find your saint here today. We have so many to choose from, from Bill and Joe and Tom to Carol and Meryl and Peggy. So many of you would make excellent mentors raising the next generation of saints. The Apostle Paul offers us only one caution in this effort. You'll know the true way, not just from an excellent mentor who is gentle and gives you milk you need to grow, but because of who they please. Ultimately, about pleasing God instead of individuals. To lead a life worthy of God means our life meets the dignity or standards of God. When we think of the saints in our life, we do something similar. We live lives worthy of the example they taught to us. Bill passes on the humility by which uh, his father lived. I do my best to always encourage those who ask tough questions because Bob did that for me. How will you honor the lives of the saints in your life? Maybe this is a day for you to choose to grow, to find a mentor, so you can be that person you've always wanted to be. Let's end with this. There's a story about Dr. Livingston, who was a famous missionary in Africa in the 1800s. When he first entered Central Africa, he had to meet the chieftain of the area. The deal was he could only travel in the country with the permission of the chief, and in order to get his permission, he had to give the chief one of his private possessions, and then the chief would give him something in return. So Livingston met with the chief and laid out all of his possessions. He didn't have much as a traveling missionary, but one thing he did have was a goat that he used for milk. He couldn't drink the water in that country without getting sick, so the goat was particularly important to him. Despite that, he offered up all of his possessions, including the goat, and wouldn't you know, that was exactly what the chief took. In return for his goat, Dr. Livingston was given the walking stick of the chief. After the encounter, he was upset by what he had lost and only getting a useless stick in return. But that's when a local man explained to him what he had was no ordinary stick. That was the scepter of the chief, and with it he would be able to enter any village and any home in the country. He had been greatly honored by the chief and would now be able to share God's good news in the whole country. I see something similar at work among us. We may serve others and feel like what we do doesn't matter all that much. We may be making milk deliveries and not think much of it. We may be visiting with the sick or raising children or giving food to the hungry and think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But what we are doing is serving as God calls us to. We are following in the example of Jesus Christ who died on a cross so that we could live in eternity. Jesus showed us what real service looks like so we could go and do the same. Share with gentleness. Nurture the community. Give to be a blessing, not because you're sure you'll get something back for it, but because that's the example that's been set before you. You see it in Bill's father, in Bob Tyson, all the saints who have gone before us. Most of all, we see it in Jesus Christ. Nurture one another just as Jesus nurtures you. Amen?
Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.